Space Agenda presents Space Lab. Hi everyone, welcome to Space Lab, a new podcast presented by Base Agenda that explores the history of old school electro and hip hop. My name's Billy Proctor and I'm joined today by co-host Phil Klein, also known as Bass Junkie, an electro musician in his own right. As it's our first episode, we thought it would be good to introduce ourselves to listeners and to explain why Space Lab and why now. I'm an associate professor at Bournemouth University in the UK and my academic interests in old school electro came about when I recognised that a detailed history of the genre had not yet been written, whether in academic circles or in the popular press. I'm sure listeners will agree that this is an oversight that needs to be addressed, especially given that Electro was given little recognition last year during the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. So I started researching the topic at the beginning of 2023 that will help inform a book I'm planning to write, tentatively titled When Boom Reigns Supreme, The Rise and Fall of Electro Hip-Hop. The idea for the podcast came about when I began interviewing people about the history of electro, the genre's relationship with hip-hop and other genres like funk, synth-pop, disco and so on. Like all music, electro is a hybrid genre built from bits and pieces of other music. Phil was actually the first person I interviewed and we hit it off immediately. I also interviewed Bass Agenda's Andy Barton and we began to chat regularly. Massive thanks to both Andy and Phil for their encouragement and support. And thanks to Andy for suggesting that we produce this podcast as a Bass Agenda sister show. It's been a thoroughly enjoyable journey discussing the history of Electro with Andy and Phil, sharing tunes and thoughts on an almost daily basis. Thanks also to Kurt Bagley, also known as Scape One, who is quite frankly a veritable encyclopedia, not only of Electro, but electronic music in general. Props also to Andy Jaggers, Billy Bunter and Mark Archer of Alternate. These guys are so passionate and energetic about Electro, it's been a joy to listen to their stories. I've also been honoured and privileged to speak to many Electro artists in 2023, including musicians like The Unknown DJ, The Egyptian Lover, Dave Stores, Man Parish, Cosmo D and many more. The initial idea for this podcast came about because I was hearing so many great stories from these pioneers that I thought it would be better to create a podcast so other fans in the electro community could also hear and learn more about the history of the genre that we all love and cherish. I'd also like to thank all the electro heads from back in the day who were willing to open up and tell their stories about venturing out in the streets with cardboard and lino to learn how to break dance. What has been truly fascinating about this project is how widely electro penetrated the UK in the 1980s, something that makes it even more confusing how little of the history has been documented, thanks to each and every one of you. 
What about you, Phil? Why did you agree to collaborate on the podcast? Because I think I put you on the spot one time, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, you did. But it was it sounded exciting to me. I mean, um, it's a good way for me to catch up with some of the people I know through, you know, making the music myself. So like Egyptian Lover, obviously, and Scratch D, Dave Noller of Dynamics 2 and others that we're hoping to um, get on the podcast. Uh, yeah, it just sounded like something I could do in my free time that's fun and I can maybe try and draw some stories out of them because maybe you know maybe I can get that little bit of extra out of them you know yeah well I mean um, I did you did put me in touch with the Egyptian lover and I was speaking to him by email but he wouldn't speak but when you asked him to come on the podcast he came on because you know each other so that's um, so your help's greatly appreciated and we have fun doing this yeah that was a really good one wasn't it yeah I really enjoyed uh, talking to Egypt talk to everyone it's all been it's all been good and I um, can't wait to get on with some more as well when we have the time obviously this is a it's a time issue isn't it for both of us it's a passion for us yeah. both and uh long may it continue yeah we both have jobs obviously and um, yeah. but our jobs conflict in the sense that I've worked during the day and you work at night time I do yeah <laughs> yeah so when did you first get into electro like it, it, I mean was it that it was around about the same time as me wasn't it, in the early 80s yeah, it would have been 83 uh, when I first purchased the uh, Electro One, Morgan Kahn's Street Sounds label, Electro One compilation. My cousin played it to me in my car, my mum's car once. We picked him up and goes, Phil, you got to hear this. And he was always had his finger on the pulse, my cousin. He was about a year and a half younger than me, but he was always in the know about what was what was fresh, you know. And he played me that and I was just hooked immediately. I was like, I've got to get that. And I remember going out to the shops, probably WH Smith's in Woking and picking up a copy uh, and playing it to death taking it into school it was one of those last days of the school term and I remember I brought my mum's little uh like cassette playing radio little boom box yeah. I was playing that <laughs> and loads of kids coming around like what is this music like this is this is great and I was like yeah it's electro one I remember I'd listened to it on my Walkman all the night before trying to learn the words and you know so I was just showing off a bit but I was hooked immediately and so were lots of my friends and we all like sort of formed a little bit of a loosely call it a b-boy crew we all started getting into that trying to break dance and uh you know all the things that kids did back then so yeah I mean it was from that point uh, buying the compilations, obviously, listening to Mike Allen on Capital Radio, where he had his show every Friday and Saturday. Right. Um, I couldn't really get LWR. I uh, couldn't reach that one. But some of my friends at school could tune into that. And so we'd swap tapes. You know, I'd sit there recording it, pause button, ready for the next track. And then uh, when I found out about Groove Records in London, Soho, I would go there as well. Uh, my cousin took me there first. He'd been there already and went down there and they're shopping for all the imports, the stuff that I'd hear being played and started buying the vinyl 12s of the right. tracks that were on the, the compilations, you know, cause it was, it was cool because, you know, you'd only hear like the, <clears throat> the A side, but when you went and bought the track, there'd be like maybe a B side that's an instrumental or a dub mix, or there'd be another track on there that you'd never heard. You know, you'd get all these extra little mixes and I'd be like, Oh my God, there's this other stuff as well. So I got addicted to going, to London whenever I could, when I get the money together and get some friends to come with me, we'd go up there and spend our money on imports and then, you know, maybe have a bit of a day out with it as well and then head back and all excited, you know, all the shrink wrapped 12 inch, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, or the albums and that, you know, things like that. I remember, yeah, just being a really exciting time. So I was just hooked from immediately from the start, electro, more electro sounding hip hop than the hip hop, hip hop, you know, the yeah. less uh, electronic stuff, but I loved yeah. it all. I loved it all. 
Was um, were you someone who ripped the shrink wrap off, or did you just kindly, did you just carefully cut into the? Into I the would, side? I would rip it off eventually. Yeah, separately. Right, yeah. yeah, some people did. I mean, it would just get ruined anyway. Eventually, some of them I kept on because they had cool stickers on them as well. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, I used to have them all in crates, my records, as they got the collection got bigger and bigger. It was on the floor in my bedroom. And um, I remember the cat would come in and, it, I could, <laughs> and I'd wake up and I'd hear this clawing and it would be clawing the tops of the records. And so lots of the tops of my records all had like claw marks where the cat had attacked them. So the, the shrink wrap yeah. would have come off anyway. But yeah, I, I just ripped it off. Um, yeah, that's all gone. It would have been wise to keep it on, but. Yeah, yeah, I'll I, I rip it off now because it would yeah. turn into just like crinkled cling film in the end, wouldn't it? There's that as well, and especially when you're when you're DJing, and because you, I start eventually started DJing as well, because I started having I had quite a few, you know, and I was like, well, I'd like to get into DJing. It's something I can do. We've got the records, and you know, so I did that, and um, I think pulling them in and out of the crate all the time, ah, well, yeah. that's, that would have just come off, you know. I, you, you've got yeah. to put them inside another sleeve, really, if you want to keep them like pristine. And if you yep. gig in with them, they did just get. I mean, mine are in pretty good nick, considering. Yeah, I mean, they're not, I mean, they're if, not too bad. If you're DJing, you need to get your record quite quickly, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So if you've got if you've got perfect sleeves on, and then another sleeve, and then all of that, it's going to get wrecked. Yeah, it's just going to get ruined. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you know, it was it, it would have happened whatever. So when you're talking about like introducing the music to your friends and everyone's blown away, this is at the time it's 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 like something you'd never heard before. Yeah. Definitely. What, I'd never what, heard anything like it. I mean, what, it was... What was it in particular that you thought, like, what was it that attracted you to it? Sounds from outer space. You know, it sounded like <laughs> it, was, it, was, yeah. it was like, you know, robots in the future and, you know, outer space, space travel, the, the vocoders in there, the synthesizers, and it was all mysterious. And, you know, and there was real nice funkiness to it as well that was there. And the 808 just sounds so good always in, in electro. And then yeah, the DMX too, or other drum machines they were using. It's just the way the drum patterns were, you know, played, you know, um, the, the synthesizers, the vocoders, the scratching. I mean, I love scratching in, in tracks as well. So all yeah. of those elements were there. I mean, I'd heard about, I'd heard a couple of tracks before electro. I'd heard the message by Grandmaster Flash and Furious 5. And I love that. And I'd heard um, Buffalo Girls, Malcolm McLaren, and the famous mm -hmm. Supreme Team. So I'd heard those, but I hadn't really pieced anything together. And then when Electro One came out, I was just like, this, this whole sort of thing started to form. And then obviously there was, I was listening to the radio and it, it was just like, everything came together. It was like a perfect storm. And right. I was just, I was just immediately hooked. And it was, that was it. And I've never stopped. Electro has been with me ever since. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting about the sounds of the future and all of that, because there is there's kind of a, a, a relationship between electoral music and science fiction, I think. And yeah. we we're Star Wars kids, really, right? Of course. So so, yeah. so around about that time you had Star Wars, Star Trek had come back to come back from the dead, really, and it yeah. was on the cinema. So Yeah, and you had also you had video game explosion. You had arcades with great video games were coming out around that time, you know, all those space sounds when you're playing them. You know, and it's like remember there was one called Gorfian. Do you remember Gorfian? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, like that, that's those sort of things. You know, it's just always I was always attracted to it. So then a music came along that's like, you know, it's sort of it encompasses that as well. It, it uses some of those sounds, and and I was just like, that's it for me. Like this is this is the one. So I was from that point onwards. You know, and you know, you are the bass junkie. So oh, yeah. when did when did you realize that you wanted to create your own music and how like when did you start doing that? 
Uh, I started in 87, so about a year after I started DJing, because my neighbour uh, at the time, when my parents had moved home, and we all moved to this house, and the, the guy the guy who well, they were divorced, he didn't live there, was the manager of Shack Attack, and he had a record label uh, called Debut Records and Scratch Music or something like that, and he had a studio nearby where I live now in St Anne's Hill, which is where... Um, Keith Moon of the Who lived, oh. and also um, Vince Clark of uh, Depeche, Depeche, Mode. Depeche Mode. Yeah, he, he he's moved now, but he was living there as well on the same strip. And uh, he set his son up, who was about a year younger than me, because I'd started DJing. His son had come around and seen me DJ, and I was you know scratching and everything because I used to actually be able to do that sort of stuff. Can't do it for I can't do it at all now. Just useless. But <laughs> I tried recently to show my son and it was just embarrassing. So I just sort of thought, mm, I'm not going to bother doing that anymore. But um, yeah, he wanted to do that. So he, his dad set him up with a little uh, DJ sort of setup, which wasn't uh, Technics or anything. It was just like the the uh, bog standard uh, with the lights on one sort of piece, two turntables thing, bit cheesy. But then he then set him up with like a little home studio. And I got invited over. I said, do you want, he said, do you want to come over and try and make a track? And I was just like, yeah, definitely. You know, and he was charging like really cheap rates because mm. he wanted to learn as well. So it was a learning curve for him. And I went over there with like a bag of like 30 records or something. And I just wanted to do a sample track, you know, um, like yeah. I'd heard Dynamics 2 do and uh, Mars with Pump Up the Volume, that sort of style. I was going to nick bits of this and that. And I've worked it all out in my head. So we just took to sampling little bits and programming a drum machine. And that's what we did. And uh, that first track, it never got finished by me, but he took it into the studio where the, the professional studio where his dad and his dad, people working there, and they took it apart and produced it. And they sent it back to me and said, "Hey, Phil, do you want to put this out? You know, you can put it out." And I was like, "Oh, okay. Um, well, what do I get for it? Oh, you don't get anything, but we'll put it out for you." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay. It's like that, is it?" Yeah. And, I, and I, I didn't really like the track. It was, it was too. It was a bit poppy, a little bit, you know too repetitive and i wanted scratching in there and like yeah, it to yeah. be a bit tough and you know harder and it wasn't and i said oh, i said okay leave it thanks my sister still has a copy of it funnily enough but um and then i did a couple of other tracks with him and eventually i realized it was harder and harder for me to get into the studio with him because he'd moved then to the st anne's hill location had a room there he had a fair light in there he had some amazing kit wow. um yeah yeah so um we went there but uh it was like i need to get this done myself i need to set myself up at home so i can get all the ideas i have in my head out and laid down and that's what worked best for me once i got the gear and learned how to use it which took a while you know but yeah. um i bought a lot of stuff that i didn't even need because i was looking at what he had right I, I wasted a lot of money on stuff that i shouldn't have bothered with but i should have just started afresh forgot about the projects i'd done with him and started again should have just bought an sp 1200 and gone with that but I didn't know. I didn't really know anyone apart from him, and he wasn't really forthcoming with information <laughs> and just, just what he had. So I tried to copy, and then, yeah, I wasted a lot of money doing that. But, you know. But this was a time before, like, anyone who gets into electro now, any young kids and want to make music, they've got it all at the fingertips, right? Well, yeah, and it's all that you can look up stuff on the internet. I mean, there was no internet back then. No. <laughs> it was like, I just who you knew, you know. And uh, I, my friend who I wanted to do it with, who was my DJ partner at the time, he was interested. We were doing, we were going into the studio sessions together. But he kind of like drifted off in the end. And he was like, oh, you know, I'm not really that fussed about making music. So I was on my own, really. Mm. And uh, with, with my neighbour, who we weren't really good friends, my neighbour and me, but, you know, we, we, we you know, friendly. But, um, yeah, so it's kind of like I just had to jump in the deep end. Or I was like, I'm never going to do it. 
you know, had to make that leap. And after buying all the stuff, and I, I started meeting a new circle of friends uh, who ended up, like, most of them being DJs, and we started this fear teachers um, parties. We were doing raves every weekend in the woods, you know, illegal raves, like big in the, in 91, this is. Yeah. And I met loads of DJs and people who wanted to do music through that. And another guy, I'm a good friend of mine, Jim Neen, who I do middlemen, a project I do with him. And he had a setup and his friend Andy had a setup and they they were like really good at teaching me techniques on how to get the best out of the equipment that I had. And that's how I got into making my own music eventually because right. they, they were knowledgeable, but I, where I wasn't. I guess it's the same if you play any instrument, you know, if you, when I started, I, I play guitar, when I started to play guitar, there wasn't no internet as well. There's no YouTube to learn. No. So, so, so you meet someone who can show you a few chords and, yeah. you know, and you learn probably wrong. <laughs> Some yeah, habits, probably. But you, know, you pick you things know? up along the way, don't you? you? You learn by your mistakes a lot of the time. So I would do things wrong and then I'd realize I bodged it and then I'd go back and then I'd do that right. And I wouldn't do that bodge again, you know, right. That's kind of how I learn. And I'm, I'm pretty bad for um, picking things up. I, I don't like the learning process of the music <laughs> making. I'm pretty lazy when it comes to that. I'm really hard working with the music, but I yeah. kind of, I've always got things going on in my head that I need to get out and I need to come be, be recorded. You know, it's like, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And it's kind of like, it just spills out of my brain. So Listen. I'm not looking at all the, the new kits that's coming out because I can't always buy it. You know, lots of people uh, I follow on Facebook, friends on Facebook or, or friends, you know, making music. They're always got something new and they're buying this machine. I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. But, you know, I'm quite happy yeah. with what I've got and I know how to use, you know, I'm that sort of guy. Make the best of what I, what I have. Party quality is best, put us to the test 
become obsessed Trying to beat the track record that we have set But don't stop, no, no, don't start to sweat Because I got 30 more moves you got to get To the beat, y'all, this from the Bronx People sing, and you don't stop Going on the episode, our first guest on Space Lab is one that most listeners will know, Phil, from Breakdance the Movie, or Breaking as it's known in the US. He's a pioneer of street dance, he's a legend, definitely an icon, and it's Michael Boogaloo Shrimp Chambers, although listeners will probably know him as Turbo. And he didn't disappoint at all, <laughs> did he, Phil? No, he didn't. Yeah, he, he uh, spoke to us for ages, didn't he? Yeah, about two and a half hours when Was we it? met him. Wow. Um, he was a ball of manic energy, wasn't he? He was yeah. a passionate advocate for education, for hip hop, um, so, most of all dancing. He was, <clears throat> excuse me, he was, um, he was just so passionate. It was unbelievable to talk to him, and because he was someone who I loved from like a very young age, it was very bizarre at the same time. And <clears throat> um, bizarre meeting one of your heroes, yeah, of course, um, and hearing them talk. And yeah. of course, Breakdance the Movie was one of the conduits that delivered hip-hop into the UK. Um, many of the people I've interviewed so far, um, especially in the UK, refer to the film as a eureka moment. Uh, Buffalo Gals by Malcolm McLaren was another one, as you mentioned earlier, Phil. Yeah. Especially the music video with the world's famous Supreme team. Um, can you remember when you first saw Breakdance the Movie, Phil? Yeah, I do. I was, um, I think I mentioned to you recently, um, I think on the... <laughs> 
Dave Noller interview, actually, where I was skating a lot in that in those days because uh, skating and b-boying and listening to that kind of music was a, a whole thing, especially around here. And we had Thought Park just up the road, and I would be there every day pretty much through the summer holidays. Um, and we all went loads of skaters. We went to the cinema, which is in Staines, which is not far away from there, which is where Ali G comes from in his character. Yeah. <laughs> and we went down there. We, I think we all got the bus went to see it and were mind blown. Like we just came back. Everyone was breaking on the side of the, uh, <laughs> the skating rink or in the skating rink. Like we did that anyway, but um, you know, everyone was just totally blown away by it. And it was uh, great. The music was great. I mean, I was just recently looking on what was on the soundtrack again to refresh my memory. So many good tunes on there. Yeah. yeah I mean, obviously reckless, which is the one everyone, you know, remembers, but you know, there's Shaka Khan on there. I feel for you, wasn't it? And, uh, and nobody. Ain't nobody, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sorry, it was ain't nobody, that's right. And um, what's the other one? There's the Barcase with Freak Show on there. Great tune, yeah. Yeah, and uh, some other. What's the Heart other of the, Heart of the Beat's my favorite. Heart of the Beat. Which one's that? Yeah. One? Oh, I won't make you sing it. <laughs> it's a it's it's a it's a booming it away throughout it. It's kind of I think it's one of the first freestyle songs, really. Yeah. Uh, by Three V, but it was never released as a twelve. Oh, was it um, not? It was only it was the, the, only on the album. Ah, oh, so annoying, yeah. isn't it? They did that with um, uh, what's the film? The other one, Beat Street, which I I love. Beat Street, that's my favourite of them all. Yeah, that one they didn't put out. Battle Cry on a twelve. No, they didn't. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's a real shame. So I love that track as well. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I know some people like to disrespect the film nowadays, but I still love it. I do. Oh yeah, it's got it's it's got its moments, and uh, you know it's it's uh, it. You got Ice T in there doing his thing, which is great, and you got the, the b boy moments, and you got the music. Um, there is a cheesiness to it. I mean, there's a cheesiness to all of those films back then, but I think Beat Street's a little bit more hardcore, isn't it? Um, well, it should have been much more hardcore. Um, oh, yeah, originally. originally. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, because it's not as. Um, I mean, when if you if you remember in Beat Street, Ramos really he 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 does out a uh, an abandoned property for his for his wife to yeah, live in right. and he spray yeah. he's put spray paint on the wall so there is that's a right. sense of this urban deprivation going on yeah of course yeah but but um but but i think it was supposed to be much harsher in its original form yeah it was i read the uh well not the whole script but the the, the synopsis i say um was online a while back and i was just reading that and how the guy who wrote it wanted it to be and yeah. they, they did change it quite a lot didn't they to make it more i think um universally friendly and for like kid yeah, more uh, commercial. Friendly. Yeah, more commercial. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, there's a there's a nostalgia that I have about the original breakdance movie that I that I can't deny, but I also think the film has got a lot to say. If we think back to when rap first came on the scene with Rapper's Delight, so this is 1979. Most critics and listeners thought it was merely a novelty record, so a hit one minute, gone the next. No one's yeah. going to be releasing any rap songs, and over the next uh, few years, yeah, there were other rap records, you know, but I think most of what the word we we might describe as disco rap, yeah. You know, they, were, they, they weren't sampling yet; they were using um, back at um, but live disco band tracks. Yeah, yeah, disco tracks. Yeah, just but then use... but, but but then Planet Rockets, you yeah, know, of course, and Rick changer. Yeah, that's what Rick Rubin said. It changed the whole game. But in general terms, I don't think rap. Well, definitely rap wasn't viewed as serious music. And in Breaking, I think we can see a tension between proper dance. And I'm putting scare quotes for proper, yeah, like yeah. that guy Franco, the creep who tries to get, tries to assault um, Kelly. Really, he's right. like a, 
contemporary dance class that Kelly goes to. And then on the other hand, you've got street dancers, they keep calling it in the film, or b-boying, breakdancing, whatever you call it. Yeah. So at the end of the film, when Turbo, Kelly and Ozone perform at the audition, and, you know, he says, Ozone, street dancer, and starts stripping off his, uh, his suit. <laughs> I, th- I think it's an attempt to legitimise hip-hop as an authentic culture, as something to be taken seriously. Yeah. Um, as seriously as Franco's establishment dance troupe. So in many ways, I think it's a tension between white and black dance, with whiteness being constructed as... The status the quo, yeah, yeah, the norm that breakdancing seeks to disrupt in a way. Yeah. And there's this great scene when Kelly confronts Ozone at Venice Beach. He takes her to see that disabled guy dancing with crutches, and he's, he's saying, like, look at his face. And the guy's grinning from ear to ear. And Ozone's like, that's dancing. So there's this binary between... I think it's about class. I think it's about music from the streets and music from what we might call high art. Sorry, dancing from high art. So... Um, you've got like Franco's like jazz troupe, if you like. So at the end of the film, it's called Street Jazz, isn't it? The 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 show that they do, and so it's kind of collapsed into a hybrid form of dance. The name Street Dance Jazz, sorry, Street Jazz, indicating kind of a unification between new and old styles, between street and jazz. So I think there's a lot more going on in the film than critics of the film give it credit for. Um, but what, what under, undermines it all for me is Breakdance 2 starts, and it's like, oh, I thought there were stars now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I haven't seen that one for so long, Breakdance 2. I don't, I mean, Breakdance, the first one was definitely the superior film, I'm pretty sure. I, I can't remember much about Breakdance 2. I remember the song where they rehashed, um, was it Tibetan Jam made Combat? Or is it reckless? Then they remade Combat. It's kind, it's kind, yeah, it's kind of both of them, isn't it? And the kind is of, it, I yeah. mean, it's called Reckless Rivalry on YouTube, but um, I, know, I know it wasn't a real twelve. It's not a real twelve. I was, yeah, I saw, I saw it on YouTube and it had Reckless yeah. Rivalry, and I went looking everywhere. Yeah. And it was only when I got in touch with you and said, "Have you got a copy of this?" You went, "No, <laughs> no it's not real." Yeah, somebody did it. I think it was one of the guys years ago. This goes back now to when the, everyone was on the electroempire.com. Site, All right, yeah, yeah. A thing, a great resource back in the day, back in the late nineties onwards. Um, you know, social media sort of taken over from that now. But um yeah, there was it was somebody on there, I think, some German guy did it. I could be wrong, but I remember people going, No, it exists, the 12 exists. And we go, Really? <laughs> Never was like looking for it. And then eventually we were looking at the, the label and it had been mocked up. You know, they had a really good job of making it look right. And the yeah, guy, they did, they did. I think he even admits on there now that, Oh, yeah, I took the film and I chopped up the bits where I <laughs> could do it. And then I took the original 12 and, and you know, put, filled the gaps in, something like that. He's just basically cut it all together because the scenes change, I think, in the film, don't they? Yeah, they, they cut do, away yeah. and the music cuts away. So he's, done an amazing job on it and for a while everyone was looking for it that that track <laughs> yeah amazing um, and yeah. what was interesting about, about Spock was uh, speaking to Michael Chambers um, he's written a new children's book called Little Boogaloo Shrimp and the Clean Sweep which is published yeah. by Hudson Tone um, he said he told us Phil that he wrote the book during the pandemic but it's it's a great little book for all you Breaking fans so we'll put the link in the show notes if you'd like to support Michael um, he said he said he might be doing a few more and um, the clean sweep, of course, referring to the to the famous broom swing film. Yeah, the broom scene. Yeah, the broom Breaking. scene. Sorry. Yeah, with Tour de France, isn't it? Across That's my that, that was my entry to 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 Electro, if you like. It was Breakdance the movie. Okay. And when yeah, so it wasn't the Street Sounds compilations. I was a little bit later than you. It yeah. was Tour de France, the Kavorkian remix. Yeah, the best. Which remix. we'll we'll definitely be hearing in this episode. Yeah, that's um, a great one. That is. Yeah. So let's. Um, 
in the second part of the show, we'll um, we'll be listening to some great tunes, all of an old school variety. We don't do contemporary electro. That's Andy Barton on the main Bass Agenda show. Thanks to everyone for listening to Space Lab. We'll be back in a month's time with our second episode featuring none other than Mystic Greg Bussard, also known as the Egyptian Lover. So we'll be taking a ride down the Nile. So stay tuned for that. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. say that respectfully because you know if you really think about the hip-hop timeline we weren't i was never titled hip-hop in the beginning mgm musicals one singular sensation west side story they took it upon themselves to say look i think we have a new street version of west side story west side story was a musical but because we had electro rock and TKO, and we were battling, and we had the Puerto Rican guy. It was loosely West Side Story in breaking was West Side Story in MGM's uh, yeah. eyes. Then when I did the broom dance, that was a really loose tribute to Fred Astaire. So the thing is, as that went out and became part of 
hip hop royalty. You know, the thing is, Beat Street and Breaking really brought hip hop to the masses. And New York lived a certain way, but in California, we had Hollywood. It's all theater. So we had <laughs> the streets, we had the Broadway, we had everything that Hollywood, Hollywood always goes big, Tinseltown, you know. It's MGM, you gotta go big over here. Hey, what you need, right? So, <laughs> get him the dance. So, I, I really feel that it's important for me to give United Kingdom respect because while all this wonderful stuff was going on in the States, we went to the Cannes Film Festival. Cannes Film Festival, we, we debuted our film at the Cannes Film Festival. So all of Europe was there like, hey, voulez-vous say c'est toi? Hey, how you doing? Bonjour. You know, I mean, everybody, I mean, that's an international way station, right? So as we were there at the Ritz-Carlton, And we were there with Canon Films. Menachem Golan, Yurim Globus. They go bigger. Shalom. You know, <laughs> Canon Films. The thing is, everybody was selling their movies. And we were the first over crossover street dance movie that had an MGM kind of glamour as opposed to streets. Somehow or another, the Europeans and the United Kingdom really understood, okay, breaking from New York is this picture. But these guys are showing all races, all different nationalities, dancing on the hard streets of L.A., getting along and working together with diplomacy through dance. Uh, that's in a nutshell what Breaking was. It wasn't about like the the other movies that came out in the 90s, a real deep, yo, man, hey, in the West End, the, the boogie, yo, it wasn't really that strong like, What's up? It was more peaceful. So I, you know, I have to give respect to the United Kingdom because you guys are very sophisticated over there. And you, as you guys, <laughs> we're not going to stand for your rubbish. So the thing is, it wasn't. <laughs> it's funny. It's very true. British people are very sophisticated, and if it's rubbish, it's rubbish, and they'll tell you. So I was very honored when we had a screening there, and we we got a chance to be on top of the pops. We had an interview at the top of the pops here. Body popping. What is it like? So, <laughs> total pretty. I went on King's Road. Piccadilly. Yeah. You know, we got a chance to go to the Hippodromus. Totally hip, yeah. And uh, it's interesting because you all have a very sophisticated way of looking at art. And it's interesting because Beat Street, Wild Style, all these movies came out. And our movie, somehow or another, was good enough to be uh, shown at the Prince Charles Cinema.
when the word boogaloo hit the masses in the 60s, boogaloo, look at Ringo Starr, back off boogaloo, yeah. He wrote a song, Back Off Boogaloo. Okay. Ringo Starr, Ice of Bagels. And that yeah. was a hit song, right? All right. Lucy in the sky. So the Bagels, yeah. So, yeah. So when they made Back Off Boogaloo, that word went into international orbit. Then James Brown had James Brown had Boogaloo down Broadway, and then as we started getting into jazz, uh, Dizzy Gillespie, Miles Davis, you know, do the Boogaloo, the Cuban Boogaloo from from Cuba. Right. So, yeah, Celia Cruz do that Boogaloo. So Boogaloo was a form of expression in music and in dance. So here we go. So as I started dancing and coming into dance after the disco era do not do not do not you know <laughs> i mean disco changed everybody's like john travolta the boogie you know stay alive bgs that disco went into harmony with popping in the boogaloo because as people were doing disco dancing if you go back and you see some of the footage of the clubs, Top of the Pops, whatever, there was people doing Marcel Marcel miming, the French yeah. mime, and then yep. experimenting with the robot. Even if it was very slow, they still disco the robot and pantomiming kind of intertwined. So as that started really, people that were club kids, you know, the West End, yeah, we're going to go to the clubs or the pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like a religious thing. I mean, you lived in the clubs. Clubs kids were very vibrant. There was a lifestyle. So in that whole circa of dance, fashion, and music, after disco, the robot, and popping came out, people started doing the boogaloo. So boogaloo, the boogaloo dance, it got really popular, the term boogaloo, as far as dancing, on the, the, the TV show Soul Train. The Soul Train. So yeah. Chicago, Don Cornelius had Chicago Soul Train, and then and then uh, it moved to Los Angeles. When Soul Train moved to Los Angeles, now Boogaloo and Popping had a form, had a stage because there was a lot of kids from Los Angeles. If they didn't do anything else in their life, they had their little fifteen minutes of fame on the Soul Train line, and you would see some of the best popping robot displayed right of these unknown names because they didn't give credit you just watched it and you were like wow right interesting because as that was happening i never watched soul train because i was into something else and plus i was young and what the best thing that happened with me as a kid growing up in my city i used to just watch people i was a people watcher you know i was like i'm a people watcher I used to just watch people and I love life. So in my studies, by analyzing people, how they moved and just things in motion, I I started mimicking, mimicking people. It's almost like pantomiming life. And so if somebody moved strange, I would people are strange. When they're strange, your faces look ugly. Women sing with when you're strange, right? The door. Yeah. I started analyzing how people move. Now people were clapping, going, this guy's really cool. Now I had a little a little stick, a little show. They're like, hey, Michael, Boogaloo, do something for us. Amuse us. Let me be amusing. So I would I would act like a robot or or um 
you if you watch HR Puff and stuff, I am a mechanical boy. I became the mechanical boy. You know, I, you know, I would I would imitate Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and stunning around. You know, I would I would anything that was on television. Ray Harryhausen, Clash of the Titans. I mean, not the mythology, but I was more because I was just a kid. So I was more into the science fiction motion of trying to move like a claymation stop motion yeah. character. Right? Like, the, like the skeletons you make and sense, stuff right? like that. Yeah, yeah. I love so it. So as I just started studying that, my moniker was Boogaloo Shrimp because back then people would chat. You know, you would have a crowd of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. The homies and uh, people, if you had a really good song line while everybody was dancing, there was always this John Travolta type. You know, like if you if you've seen Saturday Night Fever, Yeah. John Travolta walked into a club. Tony Manero, he's just dancing over here. It's Brooklyn. And everybody's dancing. And but when he came to that club, they're like, watch out. And he he did his thing, right? There were a lot of people who were the best dancers in clubs. Even in, in the Hippodrome. People would be like, whoa, you know. So there was always that one or, or that one person or that one girl that took over the whole club. So my my whole thing was. When we when I went to a dance, people would go, you know what, boogaloo shrimp, and they're like, yeah, get shrimp to boogaloo. So my sister was like, wow, you know what, they're chanting, they're chanting for my little brother, come out, let's see what you got. It got to be so big that my sister got me a leather jacket. She went and got over here in Los Angeles. We had a printing, we had a printing center. So that you wouldn't have to talk to people because I mean in a club it's pretty loud. You, hey, what are you saying? I don't know what and if somebody if you said something wrong, you probably would get into a fight, right? What'd you say? No, no, I didn't mean ow, he's killing me. No, the thing is, so instead of to avoid conflict, you just had your own banner. This is my name, right? It was like sign language. I don't know fighting the peace. All we are saying, right? So the thing is I had my name Boogaloo Shrimp on my jacket. So if I dance, I turn around, they go, oh, yeah, that, that's Google Blue Shrimp. And it was in old English letters. <laughs> so my, my name um, my name got very popular. Like, who is this little guy? You know, I mean, I mean, the Boogaloos on Soul Train were like five, nine, six feet guys. I'm only 12, 11 years old, but I had a style of a grown man. So they're like, it's just, he's a little one, the Boogaloo Shrimp. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a boogaloo shrimp. So, have, what, what year was this? What year did you get the this name? It's probably like 19, 1979 because if you look at 1978, Star Wars, George Lucas presents Star Wars. You know, Star Wars, the Bionic Man, all the science fiction stuff, disco, but then 79 was like literally the last year of disco. 79? was the last year of disco because 1980, crack that whip. I mean, the 80s sound came in like lightning, like grease. And so disco really kind of went, whoosh, and we were into, into uh, you know, uh, Depeche Mode and all these electron synth EDM. Yeah. It, it, yeah, synth pop came in big, right? So yeah. for me, I had already started learning pantomiming and the robot and boogaloo a little bit of boogaloo, but I mastered my style by 1981. So by 1981, my name, people were like, hey, if you want to see somebody dance, that guy, the Boogaloo Shrimp. My name, my moniker was Boogaloo Shrimp, but 
it's interesting because it's almost like now that they have mixed martial arts, somebody just says they're a, a fighter, they could do all different styles under that title. So as a dancer, when they called me Boogaloo Shrimp, people were surprised because I could do this style, I could do that style, and I was already combining styles, so people couldn't figure out like what is his style, which is really cool because that's when you're really a master. If somebody cannot beat you, how are they going to beat something that they don't understand?
lot of the music, if you were a DJ back then, people know one thing about crates in the DJ. A lot of those things, those those songs that were B-sides and, and, and maybe, you know, the... I mean, if they were LPs, they had the A side and the B side, and that was it. This was before people started scratching. The DJs would flip and spin those records to keep the people on the dance floor. So what I what I was able to do, me and a group of people, you talk about adapting. Not every club was like playing like the soul train music, but we still had to we still had to have fun, right? So we, me and a group, a handful of people from California. We said, okay, look, we're going to learn from our community. A lot of us went to school with people that were surfers. They're like, yeah, man, hit the waves, man. Boogie, dude. Country people, yeah, boots getting boogie. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, people from all over. So as we were interchanging culture, we were interchanging music. Yeah, I mean, if it was if it was Jewish people, we'd be like, ah, like, ah, like, ah, like, you know, just, a, you know. Whatever, whoever we were around, we would adapt to. So when it got to popping and the dance styles, I mean, obviously New York has Puerto Rico, you Puerto Rico, you know, you know, the boogie down, bro. Those are Puerto Ricans, you know, and yeah. they had that whole Latino web. So we had to kind of interchange and learn the lingo and learn the rhythm. Same thing with, with, with the other styles. And so for me, adapting to other music really helped me become more than the stereotype. If you just said Boogaloo, they'd be like, okay, Soul Train, okay, no, no, no. Yeah. I was always disarming somebody that already had me figure out, because they're like, wait a minute, why is he dancing to Depeche Mode, you know? Can you see the world in my eyes? If anybody hears World in My Eyes by Depeche Mode, and they know anything about popping, do 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 Craftwork had Uno, do it. Tres, cuatro. And then Kraftwerk had Trans, Euro, Express. Dun, 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 dun. And then it was sounded robotic. Trans, Euro, Express. Everything was always resonating with the dance. Meaning, if you are a mechanical man, you have to have mechanical music. So Art of Noise, so I was always looking for the perfect beat in music. If I was at a club and I heard, you know, how does it feel? You know, I mean, Blue Monday. If you if if you heard something like that, I mean, Young Guns. Yeah, mama, get daddy. I mean, come on now. Yeah. Those, those beats. I mean, you were if you were moving in time to that, you became a master on the dance floor and you choreographed yourself because those were some serious songs. Some of them were three and a half minutes long. Or if you had the extended version, you were working up your cardio and there was no Red Bull. You're like, ah. <laughs> Choice, my beat is gonna make you know. 
I planned this particular uh, uh, this particular phase in my life. And even though, you know, you strive for perfection, you're never going to get perfection, but you can get close. So I said, okay, I'm instead of competing like a title fighter, if you already got a belt, why are you going to fight to get it be a champion, right? So I, I've always said to myself, what am I going to do in my latter years instead mm-hmm. of trying to 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 re- regain my childhood or my youth and compete with these younger people, which I mean, with gravity and with age is impossible. So I said, okay, you know, I've always respected educators. So as as I got into educating, even before the COVID, I was looking at some of my former uh, people who were in my alma mater, my alumni of dance teachers who had passed away and who, you know, maybe had injuries. And then when they tried to dance, people were like, no, no, eh. <laughs> this was a champion, but because they had limitations, when they tried to go out like a fighter, people were like, nah, you lost it. So I was like, you know what? Instead of ending up like a dump truck or a bunch of rubbish, I was like, I'll let me eat my mind. <laughs> Very true. very closely and anybody that knows dance can see our styles in michael mr jacks is very true only people who know art and motion you can see where i'm going with this the student learned from the master and then you have the master's techniques even if you even if you develop your own system you still have the foundation and so 
that's the only card I've ever played <laughs> because yeah. you cannot fight a machine that you, you I mean Jeffrey Daniels is in every book. So I said, okay, there, why even if I knew I was telling the truth, because I was on a world tour with this guy, this guy and Michael wrote We Are the World. I was on I was in all night long with Mr. Richie. If you really think about it, Lionel Richie doesn't dance. So that was 1983. But when him and Michael Jackson wrote, We are the world, when they wrote that song, Michael was exposed to us. When I say us, me and Bruno Falcon. Not Shabadoo, but me and Bruno Falcon. If you look at Bruno's electro rock, if you look at Bruno's style, mm. and you look at mine, there you have it. Because Bruno had that, I mean, he's in Smooth Criminal. He had the snap. He yeah. had that, you know, he had that real, that bang. What was Michael doing in bad? I yeah. mean, he was snapping hard. But my style was more animation, you know, and claymation and then the smooth, the you know, my gliding. So the thing is, Mr. Jackson was very, very clever. He used, I mean, most champion fighters, they have different people that they learn from. If they learn from different, they are like a super champion because Michael was like, wow, you know, he had Bob Fosse. You know, he used to watch videos. The Jackson, the MJJ Estate Library, all Michael did in his little private abode was watch videos, 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 even at a theater in Neverland. So what was he doing? Training without somebody saying, I'm going to call my lawyer because I, I, I clocked in at 9 a.m. and Mr. Jackson didn't pay me. No, no, no. He didn't have that. All he had to do is just watch videos of free enterprise. So he would watch videos. Okay. So here we go. When it came to him mastering the style of popping, he was so brilliant. Not only did he already know the robot, look at Dancing Machine. Dan I mean, Dancing Machine, his robot was really fast. It wasn't slow. It was just really fast. But he got a taste of freestyle dance. Once he started learning that robot, as the 70s ended, we start getting towards 1983 when I was with this guy who he wrote We Are The World with. That was a whole different ball game. I actually changed my hairstyle because, you know, and then, anyhow, it's very true. I think the Jerry Curl was everything, right? So for me, to see that man develop was amazing.
I was practicing balancing the broom on my hand, just messing around. And uh-huh. it's all gravity. It was never magic. It's just science, gravity. Matter of fact, before COVID, they had um, the broom challenge. It was millions of people worldwide were trying to do what NASA showed about gravity. You know, it, it's all science. So the thing is, I was messing with gravity by balancing the broom on my hand. And it was during the break of the filming and the producers were looking at each other going, wait a minute, this guy, if he could put the broom upside down, I mean, if he could flip it and make it look like it's just floating in his hand, we probably have a scene that's close to Fred Astaire's dance with the coat rat. Because you got to remember, MGM already knew Fred Astaire's work. So Fred Astaire did a dance. I don't know the name of the movie. But there is definitely a, a film where Fred Astaire's dancing with a coat rack, just dancing around with a coat rack. And it's a brilliant thing. So they're like, oh, my God, if this guy can pull off dancing with his broom, we have a homage loosely to Fred Astaire. Sure enough, they had a, a, a prop guy get a drill bit and drill a small hole through the broom, put fishing string on my hand. So with a whole bunch of edits, as we did take after take, they were able to edit and go, wow, we got a dance solo that's off-Broadway, pre-CGI, no green screen. This guy's like making, I mean, if you look at it, people always dump on it. Ah, we saw the string, but that was a theatrical piece in a film. They even slowed it down so people go, wait a minute, what is that? <laughs> they weren't even, that was just creative editing. But you know what, to this day, I've seen Dave Chappelle, I've seen artists, I've seen a lot of parodies with that that scene and you know what it's it, I, I just thank god almighty and the people that hired me because we all had no idea how much that scene would have meant to dance meaning hip-hop dance street dance now that's the olympics with popping people were used to seeing people on the cardboard and the boom box but now i'm i'm doing a theatrical piece in a film so this was like a theatrical piece where I was not using the stuntman. <laughs> I did my own stunt. No, no, no. So, you know, now we have kids that have special effects on TikTok and YouTube and really cool lights. But, you know, they just use the cheap prop, good editing with the fishing string. And when the producers decided to make a movie, they needed to get the right music for the dance. So it's just like when you see Beat Street, you might not know breakdancing, but you want to get out there because you feel it. So when you see me dancing, that song from Kraftwerk was a club hit, Underground. You got to remember, Kraftwerk was an underground band. They were they were like Depeche Mode Underground. And they, they didn't do music videos. So if you knew their music, they were really huge underground. And so as the producers were listening to the music that we listened to, I don't think they liked the song numbers because Trans Euro Express, Trans Euro Express, that was very slow. It's a slow song. It's very slow. Numbers, uno, due, tres, cuatro. Numbers faster, but crap. I mean, Tour de France, that one is, it's faster than both of those, those two songs. So I think the producers realize, okay, you know what? This guy, he's exerting so much energy. If you look at the beginning, it sounds like you're respiratory problems. It sounds exhausting. I, oh, I want to breathe. Tour de France was the ultimate song for that 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 scene because yeah. Turbo was exhausted. In fact, this is funny. This is like, this is really funny. The producer said, look, let's let him do his dance and then come from dancing 
into the store to do the scene. They didn't realize I needed time to breathe. So the one scene, when I finish dancing and I come in, that's very real. If you listen very closely, I'm out of air. Ozone goes, are you finished? I'm like, yeah. You want to come see for yourself? I can barely say that because I'm I'm out of air. Ah, you want to come see for yourself? I thought I was going to pass out. But it was real, huh? You can hear my voice. You want to come?
Radiotron was not really a club. It was a hip-hop youth center, like YMCA or a place where people after school could hang out. If you look, if you really look at Radiotron, Carmelo Alvarez, this is ground zero Los Angeles, not South Central, but Los Angeles by the Bonaventure downtown LA. So that's pretty much ground central because you have South Central, you have East LA, you have San Gabriel, you have a lot of different surrounding counties where Radiotron was. So this wonderful man, uh, Carmelo Alvarez, he said, you know what? All these kids have too much time on their hands and they could lose their life or get into trouble. Let me make a place where they can exchange graffiti. There's no drugs. They could, you know, learn how to 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 listen to different music. They could they could maybe make connections for people to show them another life. Maybe they can meet people that live by the beach, and if things work out, they can go surfing. Yeah, he was trying to make a cultural interchange, and he did it because with music and with dance, it was like a way station. It was there were no guns, there was no gangs. It, I mean, it was it was unheard of. People were like, wait a minute, this is downtown LA? And, and I mean, it was the early 80s. We're talking like 80, 81, 82. I mean, you know, it was a lot going on, but that was like a safe haven. So for me, being my age, most of the places that I was allowed into, they were either daytime events or they were clubs that were under 21 that served no alcohol. I could see people that were my age and I met other dancers. And over here in East LA, when I say East LA, if anybody knows, if you have a GPS map, Los Angeles where the Bonaventure and where the SoFi Theater and the Coliseum is, that's one side. But East LA over by the 605 and by the mountains, they had another group of music. A lot of the Latinos, they had a music called Freestyle. So they had the lowrider cars, the cruising, ugh, the carnitas, the chile verde, you know, the best food. And, you know, and so when people danced in East L.A., it was a totally different thing because they took the dance very serious. If you were good or your crew was good, it wasn't about fighting, but it was more about a social status. Like, OK, you know what? Now you got kudos or you can get into places VIP. And this is again, once again, it was underage because these were high school dances. So we had Pioneer High School, El Rancho. You had Banning High School, uh, Long Beach Poly. A lot of the high schools, a lot of the kids said, okay, we're going to have our own dances during the daytime or at somebody's house or a safe place where there's no shooting or game and have the best of the best from different cities come to battle each other. That's what took me zero to 60 because pretty soon people were like, wow, you're your group or you guys are the best in this whole county, the best in this district. The next is the skies. If you're the best in the county or the best in the region, now it's like a fighter. If you're the best in that whole area, you're the best of the best, right? So eventually, I've got to be known in my own region to where they had a gigantic convention in Long Beach. Uncle Jam's army, it was like a funk convention. Like the raves, the EDM. It was like a like a like a mashup trend dubstep kind of thing where all the club kids came to one place, but they were all poppers or or uh, no breakdancing. It was all poppers from all different boroughs. I saw earlier footage of Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee went to a convention and showed his style. He didn't have to go to the conventions after that because he came up with a certain technique, and everybody knew who he was. So for me, I'm not comparing myself to Bruce Lee. I'm just saying on. As a dancer, I went there only once, 
But everybody who was everybody in dance underground, they were they they heard about my name because people were like back then there was no Facebook. So the thing is, street cred was a big deal. So that word OG, I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of the older veterans of dance or the older guys of the city, they if, if somebody listened, they were like the, the elders, the storytellers. They would tell the young people, well, guess what I saw? People would sit around and they would tell stories or at a park, whatever. My name was like, man, there was this guy at this convention, man, at Boogaloo Shrimp. They were like, what, what? Boogaloo Shrimp. So there were people, they were headhunters, they were looking for me because if you had a name, they wanted to take you out, like uh, with that. So like, you know what? I got to take his name because if somebody beats you, you no longer were it. That was the it guy. So it was yeah. like fighting. So there, I had a lot of people wanting to challenge me because my name kept coming up. So I usually, I was forced to go up against some masters. I had to put my skill up against masters. Anybody knows anything, you got beginners, intermediate, and then masters. I became a triple master in dance because I went against masters. So the thing is, I became a grandmaster in dance because I went up against masters. And the masters put my name out and said, look, this is the guy. You used to be my teacher, but I like this guy. So I was taking people's students. <laughs> you you got to say it with his voice, Greg Roussage. I'm a beat coach, boom.
it's hot Surely gonna be the best one earth to get I just wanna rock and make you free Cause I am the creator of this beat all night long tour there's footage of myself popping taco and the late shabadu we were the dance we were lionel richie's dancers so we were already in lionel's camp once we were doing all that greatness and then of course your word got out the word got out in hollywood that i was working with mj a lot of that stuff was underground but you know usually the industry has industry insight so obviously i already had street cred and we, I had already had my name as a seasoned dancer. The wonderful thing about that audition with Breaking, when we were brought in, they brought a lot of people in. Usually when people do a film, if anybody knows about casting, they pair people up and they film your reading to see how your chemistry is. We weren't actors, but we had the street lingo and we were friends. I got a kick out of it because I was on tour nine months with Shabadoo and all these guys. And so, you know, usually you get to know people by hanging out with them. So we had a chemistry in the studio went, wait a minute, these two, look at their interaction. We got Ozone and Turf, look at the way they talk. You know, look at, he's a little punk brat. Matter of fact, the best thing somebody said, they said, wow, you know what? They're like the hip hop Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin. I was like the nutty of sweetly sweet. And he was like Dean Martin, you know, he's the ladies guy, hey. They were like, wow, look at the chemistry. The thing that the studio and the producers had to figure out how are we going to get these guys to deliver lines? They're not actors, but pull it off. And sure enough, they had a guy coming around with a, um, a recorder. I think it was a Tascam uh, uh, recorder from Radio Shack. And they were just recording how we would interact and how we would talk. And they were able to develop scenes. So they were like, okay, look, you guys are going to be at Radiotron. There's the rival dancers over there. You got to say, okay, well, you know what? We'll get those fools. Say something. So they actually, a lot of that stuff was improv and off page. They grabbed the best stuff and made it work. If you look, my comedy, everything was improv. They're like, okay, Turbo, you're going to go to this place and you're going to get disrespected. It's blatantly in your face that you don't belong there. You're going to feel it. They don't want you there. What are you going to do? So I was like, oh, you want some pig cheese? <laughs> They're like, he's one of those guys that spins on his head. Come on, every reply that I had and that was improv, they go, okay, look, I didn't even know what gay was because I was underage. I, I don't think people get it. I was a label, right? But the guy who, Phoenix Newborn, he, he, he was gay, but they didn't throw it out there. They just said, okay, look, this is Kelly's friend. <laughs> if it's her friend, just deal with it, right? So they go, okay, look, 
You're going to go to Venice Beach and she's going to introduce you to his friend. He has a nickname. How are you going to respond to his nickname? Lucinda goes, this is my friend, but we call him Cupcakes. And I'm like, Cupcakes, Cupcakes, this is brother. You see the innocence of that improvisation was they were like, okay, react to this and make it fun and be neutral and show respect. So all through that movie, every line that I have, everything what we were showing respect, I even show respect to Lucinda. I mean, instead of saying something about her color or her being the, the girl who was upper class, only thing I ever said was, she ain't no street dancer. She knows nothing about what we do, but that wasn't disrespectful. But everybody got that turbo was like, no, she doesn't fit in our world yet. But once I realized that she was not a threat, yeah. then we're like, ain't nobody. And we start working together. Yeah. 
one of the things about Shabadu, he was part of one group of people that just stayed in one or two dance styles. That was his thing. He would do the whacking, which he was on tour with Madonna, Bogey. You know, he was in Who's That Girl? So his thing was like a loose jazz, the whacking, you know, the voguing, and then locking. He stayed with that. Other artists after him were all styles dancers. I don't think he agreed with the Olympics because he didn't break dance. He never even really got into break dancing like we all did. So I think he kind of didn't really understand, you know, like how is that going to come about and how that blossom into being impacting the world. The best thing that happened with him, and I spoke to his son, Vashan Quinones, and his manager, Robert Bryant, they got him a street sign. They got him a street sign in his own hometown. When people see that street sign, he was a legend dancer that went from the streets to the stage of Soul Train. But that opened the door for other pioneers. Ice-T got a star on Hollywood Boulevard. That was for rapping and film. I think Shabadoo and anybody else, I'm hoping somewhere alive, it's God's will, that somebody will do something with me to open up doors for popping in all styles. Because mm -hmm. I'm an all styles, I'm an all styles guy. I would give respect to the Pioneers, Rocksteady, New York City Breakers, or all the foundation, but also I could make a fair analogy to novice and people who don't know what's what, what a wave is, or what what an up rock is where the simplicity of it you know and, and 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 help fill in those gaps to where if reporters needed to find any more i mean i could probably drop out some names of people who are alive that shabadoo would have spoke of you know and give them a little love so yeah you know what obviously you could hear the love and respect for his legacy best thing i did for that man and his surviving kin in his his family is when he did pass away Variety magazine, they asked they asked me to do an interview right after. That was the only interview I wanted to do just because I felt like, okay, well, you know what? Everybody needs to know this and not have it saturated or broken down or or this is that. I mean, obviously, uh, even Prince and Morris Day, they had differences. Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth had differences. Every group, you have differences, but at the end of the day, forgiveness and water under the bridge you know and so i was never one of those guys to harp on bitterness or whatever and i leave it at that even with with mr jackson i don't call him jacko with mr jackson i never harped on his personal issues or things that were in media but his contribution to dance and music that's all i really care about you know because michael jackson influenced a lot of great artists and not in their personal life but in their music and their dance life and so you know uh, on that premise, I hope that even Pop and Taco, Bruno Falcon from Long Beach, one of his choreographers, I hope other dancers who seek out street dance choreography or understanding foundation will look at Shabadoo and Bruno Falcon's legacy to maybe learn something that maybe they can't find in a school. They're not going to stop us now. Who's next? Ozone. Street dancer. I'm not going to stand for this. You must stop immediately. Now, did you hear, young man? Did you hear me? You must leave now. Look, I'm not going to stand for this. You must. 
the undertone of the thread of the movies because we did come from different worlds. Electro rock, they were like gang members. Look at their car. They drove Electro. They weren't nice. They pulled out weapons. They have nunchucks. We're dancing and they pulled out weapons. So, you know, and Strobe, if you look at them, they were kind of coming up like, I'm um, look at, they threw a rock and threw a can and broke a window while we're at a, a family gathering and working with kids. They're like, Electro, remember they threw a yeah. can it could have been a fight because when we came running after them, they wanted us to find them under a bridge and they were already posted up, ready to fight. And so we all looked at each other like, is this going to be a fight or a dance? They did have weapons. They pulled out nunchucks. That's like what they pulled out in, in the game of death, those nunchucks. So the thing is, I think the studio was like, okay, Electro Rock are not nice people. And they will fight if they need look it in the club. They actually took, they got ozone and they, they almost, they almost duked it out. So obviously the studio was saying, okay, Electric Rock, they don't really care about dance. They're ready to fight and they had weapons. And so I understood what they were trying to do. They were trying to say, okay, you know what? They are, there has been gang members who are territorial, but they put their weapons aside to, to, to just duke out their differences with dance. So I think that they were trying to do like Beat Street. Yeah, I mean, Beach Street, there were actually people getting killed, you know, the, yeah. now, you know, and, and then and in remote, right? I mean, yeah. they did that whole thing that was, that, you know, people weren't expecting it. But I think that the studios were trying to bring the seriousness of L.A., but they didn't want to get too street because then they did, you know, they might have lost their, their family PG. But at the same time, they compromised hip hop on this because now people are like, oh, man, Electric Boogaloo, they're whack, man. You know, people that were really deep into like, you know, Tupac and N.W.A. All this really hard '90s hip hop. They're like, man, those are busters. They ain't possible. But it's interesting because we were before Will Smith. Yeah. Will Smith is Will Smith's hip hop. Parents just don't understand. I mean, come yeah. on now. He was like, I mean, he, him, Vanilla Ice, the Fat Boys. A lot of people were crossover, and they weren't really street. Even MC Hammer can't touch this. He was trying to, everybody was trying to show, okay, this is our hip hop. And we're not putting gang members down, but we want everybody. Kid and play. Ain't no hurt, nobody. <laughs> everybody. Our hip hop was more kind of universal people. I don't think a lot of people got Electric Boogaloo because they were like, wait a minute, people in East LA with pastels? <laughs> I mean, we're wearing pink and fuchsia. We're wearing MTV colors. Top <laughs>
a lot of people in the background of breaking and breaking too like if you look at if you look at the movie breaking the guy that choreographed and staged the the actual scenes his name is hyman rogers hyman rogers was one of the original cast of west side story so the thing is mgm was like well we got an original cast member of west side story you know the R rita moreno film i mean that that was a big musical so the thing is they knew okay this has some credibility in the dance world because now we have a seasoned choreographer staging these the, the I mean these dance these dance scenes so by breaking two it's really interesting because if you look at Byron the black actor we need all the help we can get we're gonna save miracles this guy was in the movie the longest yard with um Burt Reynolds so if you look at that that movie the longest yard uh, that guy Byron was in that movie how is like how electric boogaloo has um a connection with the Rocky movie when Remember, it's the best is alone. Ivan Drago. Hey! If you look at if you look at Rocky's movie when he's fighting the Russian Ivan Drago, I must break you. That the 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 scene where where Sylvester Stallone loses Apollo Creed. There's no easy way out. That's the mansion where Ozone and, and, and Turbo go to meet Kelly's family. Kelly and Ozone, I mean Kelly's parents. Hey, then it gets better. We found out that historic mansion belonged to Hollywood royalty, Mary Pickford. That's the Mary Pickford mansion.
Roger Troutman. I went to a concert. Zap, Roger Troutman. So Roger, I says, let me tell you one thing, sir. He goes, what's that? I said, thank you for coming out with that style of music. I go, because it's like a Taylor suit. I mean, more bounce to the ounce. Yeah, I go, that, that, that funk, that certain sound that he had helped us progress as poppers. But I found out through the grapevine that Roger's sound wasn't his original sound. The singer, the rock and roll guy, Peter Frampton, shadows for so long before my eyes. If you look at his song, I want you to show me the way in the beginning. Peter Frampton came out with that voice box. That wah-wah thing. If you look at Show Me The Way, Peter Frampton was a really big artist. And when he introduced that sound, Roger was able to get that. I guess he was using a Moog or I don't know if Roland was around, but the keyboard, the Moog, he had that mm-hmm. he had that tube some, and make those sounds and he created his own sound. But I just thought it was wonderful how I went back to Parliament Funkadelic, George Clinton, you know, not just knee deep. She was going to read it. Then they in the break. Yeah, but never do, baby, but my boots silly. Oh, yeah. Buy me a couple of yeah, but never do, baby, mama. You know, Bootsy, Bootsy, <laughs> he, he, him and Catfish, they used to play with James Brown, but... Bootsy, Bootsy was the man, so that was like, we bump the bump, got at the bump, oh yeah, we bump the bump, oh no, oh no, slide the family song, you know. I'm gonna add some bottle, dance to the music. I mean, a lot of that funk from Hate Ashbury, San Francisco, thank you, that man. Funk, rock and roll, psychedelic funk, Bootsy Collins, a lot of that stuff. Isley Brothers, all that's a, all that music helped form the funk dance soul styles and soul train 
So then when the electro people, EDM, a lot of that electro on your side of the pond, cross the pond, yeah? You could hear, I could hear like New Order, how does it feel? Thomas Dolby, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you listen to Thomas Dolby and you listen to Depeche Mode, you know some of that uh, Yaz. No, I've found the situation. Been a long time, been a long my time. Got to use them. Move out, don't mess around. You bring me down. Those sounds, I mean, art of noise. That's dance music. So a lot of the, a lot of the funksters like Greg and people on this side. They were listening to what was happening across the pond, but able to to make new songs with the bass and the snare. You can hear it. If it was a dance track, you can hear that's a universal beat, right? Rip it. liquid animation my whole thing was even if i did my fingers just trying to like speed up slow down kind of like the, what they're doing on tiktok where you do the slow motion stop mo i was doing that way back then plus i i mix i mix my style with with ticking so my every 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 time i would move my neck or my arm or or something you can actually see the rivets connect 
click, you know, to document my signature style. Was on a show called Family Matters, Steve Urkel. Did I do that? I love it. Well, here's the thing. If you look at that robot, and it's on YouTube and Apple TV, if somebody gets it on Apple TV, I'll get residual. No, Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers took a chance on me doing a Terminator version, uh, an Arnold version of Steve Urkel. Because Terminator 2 was on the big screen. Universal Studios had Terminator 2. That was a big box office uh, uh, thing. And so on the small screen, Warner Brothers said, wow, this is a really cool idea, uh, a robot version of Steve Urkel. So they were like, wait a minute, who are we going to get to play Jalil as a robot? So it looked like Jalil, but I, I had to move the way I moved. So when I came into the audition, the producers were like, I mean, Warner Brothers, they spent a lot of money on their, they're like, and that was already a hit show. They told me, how are you going to convince us to hire you to play our star? I said, well, I grew up with Clash of the Titans and Ray Harryhausen, and they all looked like, what? They're like, yeah. I go, yeah. And then the director goes, okay, let me see King Kong on the tower when the airplanes are coming. I'm like, I started doing like a stop motion kind of fade rate. They were like, whoa. Because they were they were thinking, wow, if this guy, there was no CGI. This guy's in a suit that's mobile. Maybe he'll pull, and sure enough, boom. That episode, when this episode hit, the ratings went up the roof. Matter of fact, still in syndicate, people are like, wow. Because I had practiced so much in the early 80s and before the 80s to master my signature style which is liquid animation. The difference between myself, Mr. Wave, and anybody else, even the guys on Soul Train, I was able to learn how to go smooth into robotics. So that same robot of Shields and Arnell or, you know, the robot of the 70s, I was able to go from smooth to robotic precision to be good enough to be in a special effects uh, a TV show, and then I did Bill and Ted's and some other things. So my my point is this: that surpasses battling, because now usually e- even a musician, if you're doing Gershwin or Mozart or Basie, and you you have a hit selling album, you're not a street performer anymore. So the thing is, no, you're in the rock and roll of fame. So for me, I was always looking for a bigger horizon for my steps instead of battling, because usually if you're battling in a club. The light's very low anyways. And you know, I mean, the only people who see it are the people right up close. So they don't they see the details. So I was always thinking bigger, you know, and yeah. I'm glad that I didn't pigeonhole myself just to battling or a club.
somewhere people made it seem like we battled rock steady and and i mean come on now there was no competition because they were the best break dancers on the planet rock steady and new york city breakers and dynamic they were the best break dancing crews on the planet because if you think about it they were so good they made they they did the kennedy honors they had stationery the matter of fact they had they had a song and they had stickers so they have money behind them. So when you have money and sponsors behind you, it's not bragging rights. You're the best because you, you've arrived. You went from the streets to the stage. I was learning everything that I could from Mr. Freeze. And he actually, he was actually the only one really that was, that wanted to teach because breakdancing was so new. If you knew a little bit of it, you anywhere you went, you know, you were the stars. Like you could get in club free, you were just popular. You had bragging rights, right? So I learned as much as I could because I knew not only would it help me as an uh, as a master dancer uh, to be a better battler, you know, battle people. And somebody, if somebody didn't know how to go to the floor, I beat them because now I could do things on the floor. But also, if it was a really serious break dancer, I could go to the floor and then I could body pop and I still beat him because he couldn't pop. So I found it as a way of giving an answer to something in a challenge, right? Never knew, never knew how it would transpose on film. Because if you look at breaking, when Turbo did his solo, I had all the different styles. I mean, I could break dance, but my break dancing and my popping was was the combination that I was referring to with giving respect to New York. When we started working and doing film and music videos, you know, they did Malcolm McLaren's and Gladys Knights, all, a whole bunch of stuff. Make a long story short, for me, I always had respect for all those dancers because I realized we were the pioneers, almost like rock and roll. You got Jeff Beck, Delta, Chicago Blues. All those people made rock and roll. So with dance, I was like, wait a minute, these are my brothers and sisters in the arts. Why am I going to compete with somebody as we're on the brink of building an art form? A fighter fights, especially somebody with over-the-top testosterone. They'll fight and get knocked out because they just, they're they, they're stuck on being the best. I always like making friends, but I always like learning. If there was something that I didn't understand, might as well go to school and learn. <laughs> so the thing is, if I saw somebody with skills that I knew I didn't have, I would peace them and say, you know what? Come we session. Can I jam with you? Usually, that's the best sparring session is if you have another master that knows something that you don't know, why are you going to challenge him and get beat up? <laughs>
had Rock Creek Park, they had Cool Herc, they had Wild Style, you know, they had the Boogie Down Bronze, all this stuff, the City Breakers, Dynamic, Rock City, everybody was doing their things in their boroughs over there and creating their style with the gazelles, the whole flavor, you know, you, you, I mean, the sneakers, they had the, the you know, the way that they, the, the way that they dress, the way that they talk, the way that they, they boogie. I mean, they didn't even call it electric boogaloo. In LA, it was electric boogaloo, but New York said, no, we do electric boogie. So if you look at some of those guys in Flashdance, Mr. Freeze, Normski, all those guys, when they, when they're dancing, New York called it electric boogie. Matter of fact, they even have a song, Electric Boogie. Yeah, and then, and then, and then Malcolm McLaren, you know, two Buffalo girls going round yeah. the outside, round the outside. If you see that video, you could really see the difference in LA popping and New York popping because they were doing Electric Boogie. But yeah, at the same time, if you look at uh, like Shaka Khan's video, I feel for you. If you look at uh, Breaking and Entering the documentary, LA style was totally different. So for us, Poppers and lockers, you know, Shabadoo rerun the locking, Tony Basil, the locking and the popping was something that we had already mastered. We all had to, well, if we wanted to, we all had to adapt to the music. So when Rapper's Delight and when uh, Curtis Blow, that music came out, myself and a handful of others said, okay, you know what? We need to start learning from New York. So I took it up upon myself and believe it or not, <laughs> I was at Jeffrey Daniels' house with Mr. Freeze learning how to break dance because the movie Flashdance was 1983. 1983 Flashdance hit the screens. I wasn't in movies. I was working with this guy. His all-night-long tour was 1983 and 84. So once again, while I was with Lionel doing all-night-long and dancing live, the movie Flashdance was on the screen. As Flashdance hit, everybody kept talking about, wow, did you see the breakdancers? Breakdancing hit. I mean, Flashdance, and what a feel. Everybody's like, well, I want to breakdance. I did. Everybody wanted to dance, right? Whether it was working out or, or doing whatever. And then the new wave sound, we said, okay, we're going to be left behind. So in the movie Flashdance, that one breakdance scene, it's just Normski was a little kid doing Mr. Freeze had the umbrella and he did the backslide on concrete. So right after that movie, he made friends with Jeffrey Daniels from Flashdance. So the thing is, somehow or another, through, you know, back then it was no Facebook. So through one phone call and, and, and through one, matter of fact, it was a dancer named Sugar Pop. Sugar Pop De Silva, this guy was amazing because he knew how to pop. He knew how to lock. He knew a lot of different styles because he, I guess he had a passport. He could, he was already flying to different places. So when he came to LA, he had a straight cat's, straight cat's mullet, and then he had the ponytail from New York. Then he dressed like Robert Plant, you know? He had the, the ripped jeans, you know? I mean, he really looked like an international person, like would be in King's Road. <laughs> when he came on the dance floor, we were like, wait a minute, he could pop, he could lock, he had different styles. So we befriended him for a time, and he told us, hey, you know what, you wanna see this guy? We all, we all looked at the movie Flashdance, so this guy, Mark Limburger, he was like a ghetto superstar. We just seen him on, on, on a movie. So when we met him in person, we were like, what is this? So I got a chance to work out with him at Jeffrey Daniels' house. And that's where, if you see the, the poster breaking, where I'm doing my arm phase, <laughs> I learned from Mr. Freeze. Matter of fact, if you look in the movie Breaking, I didn't do too bad compared, I mean, from what New York breakdance. 
I wasn't the best. When we talk about all styles, even in a fighting competition, you may not be a judo master or you may not be a karate master, but if you have one or two moves, you get by it, right? So with dance, at that time, I did a, I did a lot of break dancing.
children's book boogaloo shrimp and the clean sweep and it's illustrated by mr chris dudley and it's a uh, hudson publishing so yeah you guys could look that up on public hudson publishing but what was interesting when we had the COVID, the world changed in the last three or four years you know with COVID and you know the the, the wars and different it's the tone of the world and so i had a lot of time to reinvent myself and it wasn't just about me anymore i was like wait a minute you know i became a grandpa so I became more settled in my family life, in my personal life. And as an educator, I said, what am I going to do to help reinforce parents and help them work together? So this little guy is is my story, but it's everybody's story who doesn't have a lot of resources, kids that don't have much money. Maybe they don't have the latest phone, but you make something out of nothing. You, you use the best what you got. And so in this book, what's really interesting, the Arthur was not able, I, I, I put the highlight we highlighted Olympics, breakdancing being Olympics since that's the first time it's announced. But in the book, there's kind of like an overview of all my credit. When it gives oh. tribute to Shabadoo, it gives tribute to Coco, all these other people. Here, I'm cleaning my room and he's coming out. He's coming to say, hey, you know what? Can we come and go and battle? And I said, no, I got to do my chores. <laughs> so the thing is, the moral of the story and the theme of that book is to help cool parents or grandparents that used to be retro or club kids to be able to share with their grandkids like hey look i used to do this and we used to do this and you know parents have trouble with their kids doing chores right so you put your tunes on you make the best of your area and you feel good that's your swagger keep it clean keep it moving so you know it was one of those things that was dear to me and it's almost if you look at this is almost i mean from 1984 till now this is the the 2024 boogaloo shrimp retro reinvented See where I went from 84 to now. So that's that's the highlight of you know of, of the premise of the book and the, you know the the value system of how kids that don't have a lot to do their free time maybe they're on quarantine or lockdown you know they could put their tunes on make the best of what they have uh, and also too with breakdancing being announced and, and in the olympics i wanted to show that it, you know it, it didn't matter if you're black white or, or hispanic or polynesian whatever if you got talent you just use what you have and be happy with what you got right everybody all over the internet is celebrating the, the anniversary of hip but 
this book kind of celebrates hip hop dance. See, people talk about the music, but once again, we're back to square zero. The celebration of hip hop dance is just as important. Now we got break dancing, soul train, locking, popping, everything else, right? And it opens up the door for other part pioneers that maybe you you all will run into, you know, to be able to have interesting interviews, right? That's all we have time for on this special extended episode of Space Lab, our first episode. Thanks to Michael Boogaloo Shrimp Chambers for spending time with me and Phil. We had a blast hanging out and listening to your stories. For the future, we have some great episodes in store for listeners. Join us next time to hear from another pioneer, electro musician, Egyptian lover. To finish off, here's a track from the rock band Queen. I'm always interested in the ways that electronic music intersected with other genres in the 1980s. And here we have Freddie Mercury using a vocoder on a track from Queen's 1984 album, The Works, entitled Machines, or Back to Human. Until next time, stay freaky, everyone.
Oh, my God. 